Not that I didn't care, but the less I tried to care, the better I played. And welcome back to another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I've got my partner in crime back with me, Matt Cermak. It's good to have you back, Matt. I was getting a little lonely on the train. It's good to be back. Been uh, running a mile a minute, but we're um, we're ready to go, Ev. Lots happening on the train right now. For sure. I'm excited to share this episode with you guys. In case you're new, welcome aboard. Our mission on the par train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can really smile through anything. We interview PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental performance coaches uh, like Simon Taylor today, and everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy, help you get out of your own way, shoot your lowest scores ever, and finally, enjoy the ride. Before we get to this episode with Simon, a quick word from our friends at Roback Performance Apparel. Oh. Serm, it's getting chilly. Oh, how chilly is it getting now? Well, you know, I like in the mornings when I wake up, if I got an early tea time, it's 50 degrees now in Los Angeles. Oh it is getting frigid. Is you that, know what I, that your limit going outside or playing golf? Is it honestly, 50? it hits you I like a it was bag, 60. It hits you like a bag of bricks, Matt, when that 50 degree wind, uh, and wow. it's piercing. It goes right through you. What do you need when you start a round of golf in 50 degree weather? You need a, you need a rowback Q-zip <laughs> over the a, polo. Maybe. In, in, Maybe a hoodie, you know. Yeah. I like the vest. Maybe over the over the Q zip. Yep. But for you, you're probably you're wondering is Roback going to start making winter because you're not sure what to do. I mean, it's tough. It, but you know, it's going to be Roback. You're choosing Roback. We know that. Yeah, I mean, guys, here's the deal. Okay, you might be laughing at me, thinking I'm soft. Okay, I know I'm from the Midwest. I've been out in California for 11 years. Um, a, the cold hits differently here. But it's a tough thing. I will say this. Roback Performance Apparel is so soft and stretchy, and it's the perfect, I don't know what you think, Matt, living in Chicago, but I find it to be the perfect thickness um, because it definitely keeps you warm, but it's not too thick where it weighs you down. So it's super, uh, it, you can swing free in it, but what I love is Roback layers really well. So like we've got a lot of Q-zips that we've gotten over the years partnering with them. We've got vests, I've got hoodies, which are my favorite thing they make. And they're really great to wear over each other. So like yep. I'll wear a polo from Roback and then I'll put on a Q-zip and then I'll put a vest on over it if it's really chilly in the morning, i.e. 50 degrees. Right. And as the day, as you're walking, as the day warms up, you remove the vest and then you remove the Q-zip and suddenly you're down to the polo. You can even wear a long sleeve performance tee under your polo. So it's all yeah. about layering and you don't feel restricted when you do that. That's the coolest part. Yeah, it's fun to listen to you talk about layering, um, <laughs> but it is great, right? I mean, the polo, the vest, where to work, where on the course, where out, you're on a date, you know, hitting the town. It's versatile yeah. stuff. Can't beat it. We love it. I mean, so what do we got to do? We got we to gotta go to the show notes. What yep. do we got to do? So go to the show notes. You'll see a link in there to get 15% off your first rollback order. Tap that link. No need to enter a promo code and uh, you'll get 15% off. Now, remember... In case you're spending too much time scrolling Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, if you're into oh. that, uh, tap the link in our bio. And this rollback link is always in our bio as well. So you'll see get 15% off your rollback order. 
and that makes it easy. You don't need to worry about what show you're listening to when, and uh, you can get the same discount there. So um, thanks to our friends at Roback. Guys, everything they make is four-way stretch, moisture wicking, super soft material, and um, it looks good. It fits perfectly. The designs and the patterns are fun and great um, or traditional if you're into that. So Feel good. Play good. Yep. Choose roll, choose roll back. <laughs> and guys, it's starting to become like we're getting closer to Black Friday and uh, the holidays. So get yourself something nice. It's the perfect gift, either for yourself treat, or treat someone yourself. else. Yep. Okay. On to our conversation with Simon Taylor. Simon Taylor um, is a former D1 college player. He went through an interesting story where, you know, he kind of lost his way a little bit went to become an NAIA golfer, which is, I think you said, like a D3 level, kind of refound his game and was so enamored by his experience and the power of his thoughts and his environment and ultimately fear of failure that he decided to get his master's in sports psychology and then just finish his PhD and literally studied nothing but the fear of failure. So he reached out to us. And we thought it'd be a really interesting thing to dig into the science of the fear of failure to help ourselves and you guys, the listener, understand why it's so hard to let go of the fear of failure. And I think he went into a lot of interesting things, sir. Yeah, no, it was was fun talking to him about our college days playing college golf. Look, there's so many people that do this, right, or in the sports psychology world and the golf world, but he's great living proof right, of being a really good player, losing it, finding a way to get it back. And now it's just, it's like he just wants to the gospel, you know. And he's not, he's, as you know, Ev, and you do this, a lot of people are very overly complicated with their message. He's not. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's just, he's very consistent about what he talks about and um, really tries to ingrain that into his players. So it's cool. This is what's so fun about the show, Ev. You reached out. He's coming live from Nova Scotia. You know, and we're just like we do, we brainstorm. Um, yeah. Um, he talked a lot about course management too, that, that you guys are going to find very interesting. You have to have the discipline to think of way out there. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Um, and if you do enjoy it or we've added any value in the past, do us a solid. All right. Hop on the Apple podcast review train. Yes. Give us a review. You send us messages every day, which is amazing. I love getting them. But Take those messages, drop them on Apple Podcast Reviews so other people can be inspired by your story and hop along the train too, okay? There's no, sir, there's no capacity. There's no fire uh, code on this train. We can no, pump we can, as many people coach, on this train as we business want. Class, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> want to sit in a beverage car? Do it. Wherever you guys want to sit, take a seat. There's no assigned seats. We will welcome as many people as we can fit. The ceiling is high on the people we can get on this train. So give us a review so more people can hop aboard. And um, yeah, give us a follow at the par train. Our following's growing every day. We love seeing it at Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, or the main three. And uh, sir, if they're feeling failure, if they're guiding the ball, if they don't like where the last ball went, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Simon Taylor, welcome aboard the train. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Hey, Simon. Simon, we're pumped 
to talk about something that a lot of people struggle with, fear, and specifically fear of failure. I wanted to start, and I was thinking about all the ways to start this conversation. There's a million different ways that Matt and I could go because we have a lot of thoughts on this topic. We talk about it a lot. But um, I was thinking about a stat that I've used in some of my coaching and training um, and a, a stat that I actually learned from my own personal coach which is that uh, there was a study done years ago that said that 80% of our thoughts are defaulted negative, um, purely from a place of survival, you know, from threats. And I was curious your thoughts on where would we be today? You know, assume that we would have those to evolve and get to where we are today. But the people and human beings today, where do you think humans would be if we didn't see potential threats, if we didn't have fear, what would we lose? What would we gain? So I think it's important to kind of go back to the Stone Age or even prior to that to understand why we have, um, we look at everything as a potential threat, why we see so many things as potential threat. Because back in the day, um, when cavemen and cavewomen were around, um, if you didn't see things as potential threat, you wouldn't have lasted the week. And so we had to kind of evolve based on everything was a potential threat because you eat the wrong plant, you die. You, you, you see, you see an animal in the bush, you want to go pet it. It's a saber tooth tiger, you die. And so, um, that's kind of where this like kind of originated. And then look, it's just, we've progressed. And obviously if we see something in the bush, it's probably not going to be a wild animal that's going to eat us, but our brains haven't evolved to the point to understand that less things are threatening. So we still look at things the same way as potentially threatening. Um, but we look at different things as potentially threatening now, which is problematic in its own way. Um, but where would we be without seeing the things as potential threats? I, I think it would come, some things would be better and some things would be worse. Um, you'd be in a lot more pain, I think, if like everything, if you saw everything as zero threat, like people would be jumping off cliffs a lot more and stuff like that, doing a lot right. more extreme sports without worry about what could go wrong. And that could, that would backfire definitely. But I think like the mental side of us, like um, if you didn't see, oh, if I let someone down in this golf performance today, that's the end of the world. If you didn't see that as a threat, um, then you might have more fun playing golf. So it it's kind of goes both ways in that, in that sense. Yeah. Well, well, Simon, welcome to the show. Um, and it's great. We love that this show continues to go global. You know, we've got Chicago, LA, Nova Scotia, and we've got a lot of fans actually uh, and followers from around the world. So it, it's a lot of fun. But, but Simon, for our listeners who talk about what got you into what you do now, talk about your, you know, your, your golf experience, talk about yeah. uh, and your career, where it's at and where it's going, your story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, played golf my whole life and um, started when I was old enough to walk uh, so when I was about the age I don't know I started when I was around two or three and um, I've played golf ever since I was a, uh, in Germany I grew up in Germany so I was a successful junior golfer won state championships and stuff like that and sure. played for some really good teams and then um, I got a, I, I went to the US I went to Virginia Commonwealth University and played two years D1 and yeah, my game just, I mean, I went there like most people do, going, this is going to be my ticket to turn pro. And then, um, yeah, things didn't pan out. My game went awful, like just really, really bad. I was almost like in my sophomore year, I was happy with my book 80. And so then things took a turn for the worse. And it was kind of like, okay, I got to leave because like losing my scholarship and whatnot and um, got to go somewhere else. So then I went to a, a small NAIA school in Kentucky called Union College. 
and just kind of took things there and then slowly built my game up again. And then senior year, I was my scoring average was around 73 or something. So my game got much better again. Yeah. And then after that, I just kind of like reflected on my experience after I graduated and was like, well, what, what do I want to do now? And I said, yeah, I, I mean, I can play. I know how to play the game, but for some reason, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't like shoot certain scores when I needed to. And I just, there's so much pressure and intensity and everything involved at college golf. And I was like, I need to like, I want to study this. And so then I did my master's in sports psychology at the University of Stirling in Scotland. And then after that, I was like, I know more, but I don't know enough. And so <laughs> I decided um, to do a PhD in sports psychology. And I've just submitted that, uh, my PhD like a month ago, and yeah, and now I'm living in Canada, working. I have my own business, Tailored Mindset. So working with teams and athletes and coaches. And I also, um, what else am I doing? I also work with a, a lot of provincial teams at the Sports Centre, the Canadian Sports Centre Atlantic. I work with them as a, a mental performance consultant in the lead up to the Canada Games next year in the summer. Wow. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my journey. <laughs> so Simon, uh... I, I have to, I have to dig into what happened yeah. when you left um, D1 and when you were happy to yeah. break 80. Looking back, knowing what you know now, what traps did you fall into? What do you attribute your performance then yeah. versus when you were starting to get back to where you were? So I think there's, there's so many, it's never just this one thing was what made everything fall apart. I think it was a combination of many things. Um, one of the things was um, I, I I was so used to being coached nonstop growing up and at home. So when I went to the US and it was, you, you kind of be you you kind of expected to be a bit more independent there, and I didn't know how to be independent as an independent golfer. So if I wasn't hitting the ball well on the range, I was like, "Coach, what's wrong?" And he sometimes was just like, "Figure it out. You need to learn this stuff yourself because I can't for better for worse babysit you on the golf course. You need to learn to be able to do this by yourself." And I. I struggled with that and um, so that that kind of like caught me off guard there and it's not like i blame the cultural thing by any means i it's just how i was i was raised in that sense um so that i think had an impact on me i think the other thing was just playing in a new in a new world i mean going from a junior golfer going to the us and playing college golf d1 is just it's it's tough and so like i put a lot of pressure on myself because i was somewhat successful growing up as a junior golfer and then you get into the big leagues at D1 and then you just expect to, oh, yeah, I'm just going to like finish top 10 every time. And then you, you stand on the tee and you're just like, wow, OK, this is a this is a different environment here. And so so that just the, the kind of the pressures involved there and the pressures I put on myself and stuff like that. So those had a, a huge, huge impact on me. And I also cared a lot. Like I cared a lot. You get a scholarship. You want to perform like you want to like say, look, my family's got me here and the, the university's supporting me and like, my coach has like, uh, brought me along and stuff like that. You want to play well. So like, I just put a lot, a lot of pressure on myself there. And when I transferred then, I, I kind of took a step back and realized that, look, all these pressures I'm putting myself just isn't, isn't helping. Like, not that I didn't care, but the less I tried to care, the better I played. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that had a big impact on my, my performance there. Well, it, it, it's interesting, Simon. I played Division One golf myself, mm -hmm. and um, at Missouri State and Missouri Valley, and uh, yeah, I was like a number four, number five player my whole career. And uh, you come from high school being the best, and you get to this team <laughs> with a lot of good players, and it's just not—you're just battling the whole time. 
And yeah. I can really relate to, in some ways, losing my game my sophomore yeah. year or my junior year. So it's fascinating to hear you talk. Yeah. No, it's, I think, I think a lot of people actually experience similar things, but like no one really talks about it because you kind of just hear this go to the US and like try and turn pro and this will be great. And it's like, or go to college, I mean, and try and turn pro. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. I've actually uh, struggled with that for a while as well. Um, not a similar, a different environment, right? I didn't play college, but going from being one of the best players in your group consistently, you know, where you just have this innate sense of calm and confidence that, you know, regardless of how you're playing, you have faith that, you know, even if you don't play that well that day, it's kind of an off day, but you know yeah. that you're one of the best players there. Mm-hmm. When I've go- gone and played in events where, you know, I'm a seven or I guess a 6.5 right now, um, you know, and I go to a club with over a hundred single digit handicaps, uh, suddenly a seven is getting towards, you know, the worst, you know, the other side of the, of the coin there. And it's, it's funny, the impact of a sermon. I've talked about this on another podcast while unpacking my member guest. It's, it's crazy how big of an impact the feeling of belonging has or feeling inadequate has. Yes. And um, yeah. I sense that with both of you in both of your stories of going from the best to now not being the best. Yeah. And it's, it's also just this thing that you just, you're kind of used to it. Like it, it comes back to like expectancies. Like you expect it to be like, oh, I'm, I'm just always on like this team growing up because like I'm good enough. I might not be number one necessarily, but I'm always making the lineup for events. And there's like zero pressure involved in, in tryouts or playoffs and stuff like that. Um, but then all of a sudden you change teams and you're like, now you're struggling to make the lineup. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a reality, um, shift there. And you, it takes some time getting used to that because you're not used to it growing up. And then all of a sudden things are different and it's like, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to address this. (laughs) Well, sure. And you treat it like a job and it's what it is in college. (laughs) And it, yeah. I mean, very suffocating. You go to a smaller school and be a big fish in a small pond, or you go to a bigger school and you're kind of hopefully you're a medium fish, but you feel like a small fish. Because yeah. The qualifying rounds, how about those, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just morning workouts, qualifying, class, trying to get into a tournament, trying to beat yeah. your teammates all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. So, Simon, I want to dig into one thing you said a few minutes ago. Because I actually thought you were going to go a different direction. You, okay. were talk, you were talking about the power of um, being overcoached yes. um, versus kind of being on your own. And I thought you were um, going to say that there was negative effects from being overcoached. But it sounds like you actually saw the opposite. Um, you were used to a lot of support and kind of partnership with yeah. a coach. And now it sounds like... It was the opposite. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Because that was the opposite of what I thought yeah. you were going to say. No, I think, I, I, let me clarify that because I think we might be on the same page here. And okay. I think that what I, what I kind of meant was that like the, the, at the time when I was being overcoached, so my dad was my coach um, okay. growing up and like he's a great coach. Like I'm not by any means attributing anything to like towards him or anything, but it's as a parent, you try and like you do everything you can for your kid. It's like, oh, my, my kid's struggling on the range. I'll help him. And especially as a teenager, you get moody. Like you hit one shot, not in the sweet spot. And you're like, 
my game sucks, it's falling apart. Right. And then as a parent and a coach, you kind of go, what can I do to help? And so I was used to just, oh, dad, one bad shot, what's up? And he looks at it and says, no, no, do this and it's fine. And so I was constantly used to just every time, every day, receiving some sort of feedback. And it reached the point that I just became too dependent on feedback. So like if I hit a bad shot on the, in the US and um, let's say on the range or something, I was like, coach, I hit that one thin. I mean, it wasn't always as dramatic as that, but let's say I hit a ball, like I hit a couple of bad shots and I was like, coach, what's wrong? And he's like, nothing. He just didn't strike it well. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, did you see that? That's like 10 yards, 15 yards offline. Something's wrong. And he's like, Simon, no, like just part of golf. Golf's a game of misses, like not right. a game of perfect shots. And so that kind of took me a while to, to get into that and be like, no, you don't need to be working on technique every day. You don't need to be freaking out if you're not flushing everything. Like that's just not the way golf works. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, no, I'm just, it's great what you're talking about. You don't need to know everything all the time. Yeah. Just maybe just work on your focus, work on your routine. Right. And I'm sure you talk a lot about this with your students. Yeah, absolutely. Like work on, work on more important things. Like, if you hit a drive off the sweet spot and you get the perfect up, uh, the perfect um, uh, spin rate and the perfect smash factor and everything, that's great. But like, if the smash factor isn't great and the spin isn't perfect and your swing speed isn't as high as it used to be or normally is, but you're in the middle of the fairway, who cares? <laughs> right. You didn't play. I like that. Who cares, right? <laughs> Simon, I feel like the what you're describing, I think, is something that every single, especially newer golfers experience. I've talked about yep. it before on the show, but I remember when I first started, you know, I had played baseball my whole life. And mm -hmm. when I decided I wasn't going to play baseball, I went to golf and yeah. you're used to being an athlete. And then suddenly you're embarrassed in front of everyone. And all you want to do is just not be that bad. Right. So you work, yeah. work, work, work. And there's yeah. the, the key word is anxiety. Yeah. Um, what you're talking about is anxiety going to the range and just anytime something's offline, immediately something's wrong, and I have to fix it, and holding on, holding on, yeah. right? Tension, anxiety. Yeah. And I think the thing that we've seen in regards to people that have found our stuff and seeing great results mm -hmm. is it's one simple attitude shift, and I'd love to get your yeah. thoughts on it. It's yeah. most people assume that all I got to do is once I can just get rid of that miss, or once I can just consistently somewhat strike the ball, then I'll start to focus on maybe my short, short game. Then I'll start to dig into like how I'm thinking on the course. Yeah. But they don't realize that that simple like attachment and anxiety and yeah. um, identification you know, with results yeah. is creating yeah. a lot of their issues. Yeah. Um, being too caught up on, I got to stop making certain mistakes is, 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 is problem, problematic to say the least. And that's a lot of what I discovered like throughout my research. Um, but just to like, just for the listeners here, just to put it in a different perspective, like we've all been like, okay, everything's great, but my putting sucks. Got to work my putting. Okay. Now I've worked yeah. my putting. My putting is great today. I go out and I make like five, five footers in a row. And I'm like, this is great. But how many times is the rest of your game now just as good as it usually is? If you work so much on like, say, just my putting sucks, I need to improve my putting. Now your putting is great, but chances are something else in your game is going to be off that day. The right. idea that all I need to do is just get this, all I need to do is improve my putting, and the 
rest of it's going to stay stable and keep being good. It's like, that's not how golf works. That's not how life works. You can't like hold everything constant and then just focus on one thing. Like putting will go up, chipping will go down. Chipping goes up, putting goes down. Like, well, and well, vice versa, yeah. Well, Simon, dig into that a little more because that gets into practice. How you approach and how you make most out of your practice. So very curious. Your mom. Um, so the one of the key skills that I think that I work on with everyone I, I kind of work with is this, this idea of being able to accept, just acceptance. Whatever, whatever happens, like happens. Like it, it's fine. Like, like I like to be like, look, coming back to speaking about perceiving things as threatening um, and how like the caveman back in the day would see a bush as threatening and stuff like that. Like people be like, if I miss this part, I'm a failure. I suck. And it's like, well, why? Like, nothing's going to change. No one's going to, none of your family members are going to hate you. None of your friends are going to disown you. Your partner's not going to leave you now because of this. It's, it's okay. Like the things that you're like, these things that you see as threatening, you're putting you're placing them on yourself potentially. And so I'd like to really work on this idea of acceptance. Like I've hit a bad shot. Okay. I don't like it. I'm not saying smile be positive about hitting a bad shot because it sucks we don't like making mistakes um and it's, it's frustrating but what can we do now how can we accept that we've made this mistake and move on in a more productive manner instead of getting too caught up in um oh, got this five footer on the second hole i missed the five foot on the first so let's not miss this one now like that's not helpful focus right. on right. the putt now instead of worrying about what you did on the last hole i think that's the key right because some people might be like acceptance you talk you tell someone to accept let's let's say the block for example because that was mine right yeah everyone's got that one shot yeah that you hate that just yeah, drives yeah. you mad yeah. yours is you, right mine's left <laughs> yeah sturm hates the left miss i hate the right miss um yeah. and you tell someone to accept that they probably are gonna be like what are you talking about no absolutely i'm such an idiot i've been working on that yeah and I can't believe I did that again. What is wrong with me? Right? Yeah. But when you go a step further and you help them understand, yeah, but that actually isn't productive. That's yeah. not a good strategy yeah. for performing. Right? Then yeah. it starts to break down those barriers, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. So we, you said your, your missus, you hate the left shot or the right miss? I hate the right Matt misses or hates. Yeah. Them, okay. Uh, so let's just use, use an example here um, as like a, a case study here again um, for people who might be listening in. If you're standing on the first tee and you're like, I hate that right miss. I better not have that right miss. What are you thinking about now? You're not thinking about the kind of shot shape you'd love to be hitting or the kind of side of the fail you'd like to position yourself in or whatnot. All you're thinking about is don't miss right. And now your mind is just focused on like a defensive approach, which is make right. a defensive swing. So I avoid the right miss. And that kind of like defensive um, approach is going to mean you're not making a confident swing or confident go at the shot. You're like focusing on anything but that. And it's like, well, now you're not making the best swing you could be doing. Right. Like if you are on the range, you make a different swing because you're not worried about the misses. But on the course, if you're saying, don't go right, don't go right, don't go right, you're going to like tense up, tighten up, have a shorter back swing. Your rhythm's going to be off and you're more likely to maybe not hit it right, but just miss hit it in general. Yeah. So accept that, accept that outcome. Look, I might hit it right. I don't like it, but I'm going to focus on something a bit more helpful than don't miss right. 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 It's interesting, Simon. I mean, I think I mean, fear of failure, a lot of times for me in my career, it's when I just didn't know what I was doing with my golf swing and couldn't figure it out. 
And yep. then I would hit these terrible shots, get yep. defensive, just want to like crawl up in a hole and die. Right. Like, yeah, because you don't feel like you can make, and you got to play 18 hole. It's yep. you're making your guiding, guiding shots to hang on. But yep. I mean, like you pointed out though, you're going to be putting great one day and you're going to be hitting it terrible the next and you're going to be hitting it. Okay. And you're going to be chipping great. It's yeah. not, it's pivoting. It's making yeah. that pivot on the course and reacting to who you are that day, what your body's telling you, what your mind is telling you yeah. and still being able to perform. Yeah. And I mean, the, the other thing is, is that like people go, okay, I've hit, I've had three bad shots. So this is going to happen again. It's like, well, not necessarily like, how many times have you still in the range? You've hit one great, one bad, one great, one bad. Like it, there's, there's no like, oh, if I hit two good ones in a row, that the next one's automatically going to be bad. If I hit three bad ones in a row, the fourth one's going to be bad. Like you never know when these things can turn around. And sometimes it's a simple thing. Like just, you just slow your swing down. Who knows? I, I like you, we don't know always. Um, and so when people get too caught up in, oh, I've hit, this one was bad. This one was good. Therefore, the next one, like kind of predicting what's going to happen, that's dangerous as well. Um, whether you're focused too much on, oh, this is what I did in the past, that's dangerous, or I don't want to make this mistake in the future, like block it, right? Both those things are unhelpful. The best thing you can really do in my mind is say, I am where I am now. What can I do in this moment to kind of produce the best possible shot and then accept and move on and repeat, rinse and repeat for five hours until you've played the 18 holes. Yeah. Simon, I would love to dig into the research a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk about it. <laughs> We've talked about a concept in this realm for 150 plus hours. Yeah. You've probably spent a similar, if not more time studying this concept. I just, I can feel, I can feel the listener right now thinking to themselves, what did he find? Like, if you're actually studying the re... The, the science of fear of yeah. failure. What yes. did you uncover? What did you find that maybe yeah. surprised you? Um, okay, so the first thing I kind of want to do, and this is that like, we talk, everyone talks about fear of failure, but if you ask someone, what does it mean? People will give you different explanations for what mm -hmm. it means to them. So the, I kind of want to start, my, the first thing I want to start with is kind of defining fear of failure. And so we're all on the same page. So failure by itself is meaningless. It doesn't matter. Failure is just a word that we've attributed to certain things. And the, the reason that we fear failure is that because we, growing up over time, have learned that failure is bad and leads to bad consequences. So we'll use an example. You were a kid. You couldn't tie your shoelaces. Your parents said, I'm being really blunt here. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm just using really easy examples here. Let's say you couldn't tie your shoe by the age of three and your parents, every time they watched you try and you failed, they'd be like, you're an idiot. Like, so you basically, what has happened is every time you failed, you've learned that leads to bad things. And mm -hmm. so that can be like, oh, you failed today. You don't get ice cream as reward. Um, oh, you failed. I'm not going to tell you. I'm proud of you. So you only receive affection when you succeed as opposed to when you fail. Um, you failed. That means you might lose your scholarship on a golf team. You failed. That means you might let your, you, you worry about letting other people down. So that is what fear failure is. Failure by itself doesn't mean anything. You have to understand what does the individual associate with what happens after failure. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so now that we kind of understand what it is, what, what have I learned? Um, I've, my research kind of looked at what coaches do. How do coaches impact fear failure with an athlete? And I suppose what I found is 
coaches can have a good impact on athletes' fear failure. They can have a negative impact on their athlete fear failure. They can have no impact. It very much depends on kind of like the relationship you have with your coach and how the coach behaves towards you when you fail and succeed. Again, like if, if you're playing, qualifying for your college team and your coach tells you, look, if you don't play well today, that's it. You're not getting, you're not getting any chances to play for this team anymore. And like he says that to you over and over again, after right. a while, you're going you're gonna to enter a playoff or a qualifying round on the first tee and be like, oh, I can't, I can't make a mistake here. Um, and so that, that's kind of what my research has uncovered. And the other thing that it's uncovered is that it's a really complex thing. Like it's not this simple little thing. Um, fear failure can, can impact you in any kind of situations where failure is a possibility. So that can impact you on the driving range. That can impact you on the putting green. It can impact you in playoff, uh, qualifying in a tournament. Um, you can be thinking about this the night before in bed and be freaking out about it. So fear failure can really follow you around throughout each day. Right. And then unlucky. <laughs> well, and if, if it's something that overwhelms you in your professional life or your personal life, and then a scoffer, you deal yes. with it the most, right? So yes. it, 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 I'm sure there's a lot of correlations that you've found in yep. when you train your students. Yeah, absolutely. So like the, we refer to fear failure as a disposition. So it means if you have, if you've learned to fear failure growing up, you're going to have it across different, I'd say like performance district for a performance venue. So you'll have it sure. in school because failure is a possibility. You'll have in golf because fail is a possibility you'll have it at work because fail is a possibility yeah. in all these different performance environments you will potentially experience this uh oh if i mess up this will lead to whatever and then that causes you stress and anxiety as a result of that that's um interesting. that's yeah. interesting to hear simon talk about that right kind of i want to get your t take and we're all getting each other's take here but yeah go ahead Ev. yeah so simon this is going to sound cliche Yes. Um, but one quote I read when I was in college, yeah. I learned about mindset and mindfulness mm -hmm. when I was like 16. So I was really lucky to be practicing this stuff for now 18 years. Yeah. Um, one quote I read stuck with me and I've lived by it ever since mm -hmm. it said, there is no such thing as failure, only succeeding at finding out what doesn't work. So unpacking that quote, that is essentially leaning into learning and progress and for me yep. personally having my goal to be learning and information yep. gathering has yeah. helped me it's been a tool to overcome fear because everything's information i'd love to get yep. your thought on it so generally speaking these like you said cliche quotes like they're cliche and they're awesome because people love them because they sound so simple on the surface and i agree like ideally i would say to everyone don't worry about failing because it's just an opportunity for you to learn. And like, that's kind of where we want to, when I work with people, I try and get them to like learn to see it that way. But as I mentioned, fear failure is a disposition that you've been taught and instilled into you throughout your whole life. So if I say basically, don't worry about failure, it's like, well, my, I'm, I'm 30 years old now. My whole life I've been taught failure is bad. And now this one quote isn't going to change my whole approach to failure. Um, so it, it takes, so yes, I agree with the quote, but it takes time for people to kind of learn that. And it takes a lot of work, working on this kind of on the mental side of things and understanding that, okay, how can we change your mindset from failure equals punishment to failure equals learning opportunity? Yeah. So then what is the yeah. work? 
take us through, yeah. you know, someone's been like your example, right? Yeah. Someone either had a tough parent or yeah. had some traumatic experiences growing up and they yeah. fear of failure literally drives their, their, their human experience, right? Yeah. They're trying to avoid that. What are the steps or the practices that you start with, with someone like that? Yeah. So it's, it's tough because obviously, um, the, the field we work in is like working in psychology is such a complex area that it's, it's never one size fits all. What right. I might say to you might not work for Matt. And so it's, it, you have to be really careful there. And I just want people who are listening to this to be, to, to consider this, that like what I'm going to say now might not work for everyone. And so like, for, for instance, like if the coach is the reason you fear failure, I would ideally want to work with the coach to say, Hey coach, try and change the way you kind of approach your, your, your athletes because you're not helping them. If it's just, oh, I, I worry about if I fail, I'm so worried about not being good enough. And like, it's my, it's kind of like, yes, it's instilled by others, but it's now I, it, I drive it myself because I'm like such, let's, let's say a perfectionist, for instance. And um, in that situation, I kind of, I kind of slow down with them and say, okay, let's, let's talk about these things. Let's, let's maybe focus on the way we can change your mindset from seeing failure as a bad thing to a learning experience. Maybe let's talk, talk about the kind of goals you set. Um, I mentioned before, fear of failure can lead to you standing on each tee saying, please don't go right, please don't go right, please don't go right. And then say, well, let's unpack that because actually worrying about mistakes is actually going to increase the likelihood of mistakes because you're not going to give it your all so let's not focus so much let's change our focus from avoiding mistakes to maybe approaching something more successful um, and yeah. so kind of like goal setting and stuff like that and the reason i've mentioned that is because there is a bit of research out there that has actually shown some promising results in that area and um, with, with kind of shifting your mindset on the types of goals you set um, and how you approach those situations. But the other stuff I would kind of do with, with anyone would kind of be kind of work on like the acceptance piece because that kind of underpins everything. If you can't accept, um, if, you, if you have a hard time accepting a bad outcome, you're not really going to be poised to be able to change much about it, if that makes sense. Well, it's two different, it's two different styles for different people. Either be fascinated yeah. or just accept it. And, if, and for me, it's more... Our, we talk about this quote a lot. Golf doesn't find you, it reveals you. Right? Yeah. And so like I was playing in a scramble with my brothers last week, a big money scramble. I wasn't yeah. hitting it well off the tee and they're better drivers of the golf ball than me. And I was just, yep. I was worried about it. I was like, oh, yep. but don't worry about it. Like you just suck. You can't get your mind right today. Go contribute with your irons, your putting. You know what I mean? And being fascinated about why is it, what, what's revealing about this? Today? It's like, you just don't have something to trust let it go you know yeah. <laughs> but it's hard it's hard but it's, that it's yeah it, it's so hard. yeah um no and that's a good example you give there it's so hard but like kind of the environment you're in like your brothers sounded like they did a really awesome job at just being like hey look like i know you you're better than this but like you are where you are it's okay like let's let, let, just take what you've got today and don't worry about this and just worry about other uh, focus on other stuff instead so kind of the idea of like accept what you've got but make the most of it but also the environmental stuff there which is your brothers your teammates in that day not shaming you for better or for worse and saying man you suck you've got to be better at this because like <laughs> yeah. i know we we joke about this stuff with each other as teammates and stuff like that but it's true but like it's like deep down if like your teammate says to you on hole three after you've hit two slap hooks man you suck you better not snap hook this again like you're standing on that tee going oh, well 
I mean, <laughs> you, 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 I guess we can, they wouldn't say that, but they, but they would say, well, Hey, we got to pick them. And, yeah. and, and that's an easy, and Evan can talk about that. That's a very easy, yeah. normal reaction. Hey, we got to get it back. We got to pick it up. And we know what we're talking about or who's, you know, who's talking about who. And to your yeah. point, it's kind of staying away from that kind of language. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a good point you just mentioned and something I think that's worth talking about as well. As you said, we've got to get it back. And um, personally, I've, I, it's not that I have anything wrong with it, but I, 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 when people say to me, oh, I've got to try harder, I say, I kind of ask them the question, have you not been trying hard already? And they go, oh, yeah, I'm trying my best, but I have to right. try harder. I'm like, well, how much harder can you try before like trying too hard? Again, leads to tension and like frustration and anxiety. I have to try harder. I have to try harder. I have to stop making bogeys. And it's like, well, I doubt you're trying to make bogeys as of right now. So again, right. is, that, is that helpful? Like trying harder right. than you're already trying? Yeah. Just, go ahead, Ev. I was going to say, Simon, um, you know, part of the underlying purposes and missions of this show that we don't overtly say that often, but I'll say it here is yeah. um, clearly the tools we're talking about to hit a fairway relate to everything. It, yeah. it's, it's how I've lived. It's how I've grown in my life. Yeah. Right. And I think what's really interesting for people to learn. And the reason why I love golf as much as I do is because the things I'm working on in my life, I get to work on in every shot that I play. Yeah. And Matt, if Matt yeah. snapped a drive, his least favorite shot, that is a huge opportunity to see how he responds. And even if yeah. he responds poorly, he has an opportunity for the next 17 holes or however many left he has to yeah. respond differently. And, you know, as I've coached people, um, then people from this that listen to this show and have wanted one-on-one -on -one coaching, I've realized that there is a huge impact. You can't be, you can't fear failure every moment of your life off the course yeah. and suddenly turn that switch off on the course. Yeah. And I'd love for you to talk about in your research, the parallels between yeah. the two and how golf can serve as a great tool and practice for that. Yeah. So like I said, like if you have fear of failure, um, you're going to experience that, like you mentioned, right? So outside of golf as well. And yeah, people kind of show up to the golf course and just expect things are just going to go great. And it's like, but that's not who you are. <laughs> so like, yeah. don't try and be <laughs> totally. someone you're not. Like embrace who you are and use your strengths that you have. Like if you hit, like let's say 30 yard hooks and you hate them, but that's just who you are. <laughs> all right, play with it. Like it's, it's fine. You don't have to like it, but it's better off than again, trying to fight it and being like, oh, this is not who I am. I want to hit this fade when all I do is hook it all day. Like you're wasting your time and you're wasting energy. Like you could put that to much better use. Um, yeah, embracing just who you are and what like your style is on the golf course instead of trying to mimic something that just doesn't reflect who you are as a person, I suppose, is why I would say in that situation. Yeah, Ev, we talked a lot about embracing the style on the show, right? You know, yeah. approaching a dog leg, right? Approaching a long par three and just, and Simon just realizing that this might not be my great hole of the day, but I can get away with it being okay and there's going to be other opportunities. But that's tough telling yourself, especially when you're a good player, like, well, what do you mean I can't break this? Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> yes. And Simon, on your point of trying and try hard, uh, I love, I, I did a video on this the other day. Mm -hmm. I love asking people, when you shot your best score ever, I just tied my best score ever as an example, like yeah. a week and a half ago. Love and it. I didn't even like, 
I was like, I don't know what I have today. I like went with something and I just yeah. kind of committed to it. And I was so excited to be back playing because it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. And I shot a 74. So that ties my best. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And I okay. asked people, have, have you, were you, when you did that, were you trying to shoot your best score? And 100%. No, yeah. of course not. I was usually people are more in the moment. Right. Yeah. And they're kind of their expectations are lower. But yeah. then the funniest thing about this that I love to remind people of that I remind myself of is what do we do the round after? We try and <laughs> yeah. do it again, which yeah. is the total opposite strategy that helped you do something great previously. Now, of course, easier said than done. Right. You saw yeah. great results. It's human nature. Of course, I want to do that again. Of course. Yeah. But. I think that's where the people's light bulbs have been flashing on that have followed mm -hmm. us and been listening for a little while is they've realized that our tag, our, our whole motto is enjoy the ride. Most people think that they need to hop on the par train to start enjoying the ride. And people, I think, are starting to realize that when you enjoy the ride first, even the bad shots, right? And yeah. it's just a part of it. It's a game of recovery. It's a game of mistakes. It's a game of yeah. misses. Let me do my best under the trees through the middle of the fairway, wherever it goes, I'm yeah. going to do my best with it. Once I start enjoying that ride of struggle and great shots, suddenly the doors in the par train open up yeah. and you ride it for eight holes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. You're absolutely right. Like the best rounds are usually when you just like, you don't think too much about this or that or what if or what could happen you just say it is what like you just roll go with the flow absolutely and then how many times have we all like when when you're about to have your first round under 80 or under 90 or under 70 whatever it might be and you're like you're 15 holes in and you're like okay i've got three more holes if i just power these three i'll be okay and then you go like bogey bogey double and you're right. like oh because your whole mindset shifted from going with the flow and i've played 15 holes successfully to now I have to hold on to this and get defensive. It's like, you've been playing great golf for 15 holes. Don't change anything. Keep doing what you've been doing. Um, and a lot of people then try and get defensive. And, oh, I can't make a bogey now because otherwise I won't break 18. It's like, you didn't worry about that the last few holes. It's like, don't start now. What I, here's my little tagline for today, guys. Enjoy the reveal, right? Mm. Like, you're on the range. <laughs> Leg, yeah. Legs a little stiff. You're not making a turn. Or, oh, that ball went left. Okay. All right, like actually think about who I am today and then yeah. enjoy the reveal. <laughs> no, I, I like that. And I yeah. think I think people in golf, they kind of go in expecting today everything's going to be great. Like even like people who are like having a hard time breaking 190, 80, 70, whatever, we all kind of go in expecting, oh, I'm going to hit the ball well, I'm going to strike it well, my short game's going to be on, I'm going to make putts. And it's like, do you ever go to like, I don't know, go to the gym and expect to have perfect sets every single time and one wet maxes and like new new personal bests every single exercise you're doing no Good you analogy. just kind of go with oh, i'm tired today so i'm just gonna like cut it back a bit i'm not gonna do as much weight today i'm gonna like only do two sets instead of three or whatever it might be oh i'm tired today i'm gonna go to bed early instead of stay up late tonight within life we adapt and adjust throughout the whole day and say i need more to eat i need less less to eat i need more water but on the golf course you we treat it as this constant thing like everything has to be great. And if it's not great, it's unacceptable. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you should, the idea I've like, I, if I could like basically in, in say this like catchphrase thing to get someone to like say, yeah, this is how I'm going to treat golf every single time. It's just embrace the opportunity that golf presents itself with it. Whether it's 
you're going to shoot your best round of your life or the worst round of your life. Um, like it sucks or it's great, yeah. but like you don't, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. So just try your best in every shot and see what you can make of it. But Simon, you and I, we, we'd all agree that we, we get that way because the game is so difficult. Yeah. The game requires so much practice, so much mental and physical time to break 90, to break 80. Yeah. Um, and it, so it's, it's, you have to find that balance, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. There is a balance to be found, but I think people, and I, and I might be, I don't know, I, the way I see it is like people pay too much attention in the golf industry to the things that won't necessarily improve their game, which mm. is I need the newest equipment every year. I need a million lessons every year. I need to hit right. the ball further and all these things like, yes, everything is true, but like, how about being able to stand on the golf course and being like, I can accept that whatever happens is going to happen today. Have <laughs> yeah. you ever considered that? How might that, that might impact your game instead of, oh, I've hit that block slice that I hate. Man, my technique sucks. It needs more work. Well, how about just being able to accept that outcome before you stand on the tee in the first place is what, what might happen then? Yeah. Great. Oh, so yeah. something I've talked about recently, Simon, that yeah. we heard, uh, we had Colin Morikawa's coach on the show yeah. a few months ago. and he talked a lot about comfort with Colin and okay. uh, you know, what you just described is how a lot, a lot of amateur golfers, uh, their state is anxiety and tension, right? So yeah. it's holding on um, figuratively and literally um, from the range, your point of they're, they're hitting it. Okay. On the range, they're holding on hoping that it stays for the course or vice versa. They hit it terrible yeah. on the range and get nervous, hold on and try and like, pray to God they can hit it on the course, right? Yeah. Whereas something that's really helped me recently, listening to Collins, the way he goes about his practice and how he plays, is yeah. uh, I realized it's really about comfort on the course and discomfort on the range. And what I mean by that is instead of trying to make the range something that I hope to translate, I treat the range as working on things I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. So, and the only yeah. goal is to become more comfortable. So if I encounter that shot on the course, I now have something to draw on um, yeah. if I need to hit it and I feel more comfortable and suddenly my, my shot yeah. arsenal becomes bigger. But I feel like it's a great little tool to help people kind of become more present to literally yeah. just say, hit whatever you're most comfortable with. And I know that's a cliche, people say yeah. it, but that usually comes with like short game stuff or club selection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. where it actually can be shot shape. It can be sight lines. It can be club selection. It can be shot types. Yeah. If you just lean into comfort, you're more likely to have less tension. You're more likely to, for your authentic swing to come out. Yeah. And suddenly, you're, to your point, Simon, you're playing your game. Yeah. No, and I, I, I love that. And it's not just playing the comfort shot because you have less tension. It's the comfort shot, which is, let's say, your go-to shot if you want is the one that's most likely going to produce the outcome you're looking for, which is yeah. keep it in play or like find the fairway or find the green. Um, yeah, we try and, we try and overcomplicate things a bit too much on the golf course, which is, which can backfire at times. And I, I like that and discomfort on the range and comfort on the, on the course. Yeah. Just, all right. I, I don't want to hit a 15 yard hook here, but it's just kind of the way I'm hitting it today. So let's just, let's go with it. It's fine. It. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> Simon, I just want to get your take as, it's so easy to all we do is talk about the long game. What about the yeah. short game? What about your party? I mean, at the end of the day, you know this better than anybody being a great player. 
Yeah. Hundred yards, um, hundred yards in. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times people will try and play the shot that they think they have to hit. And I'm like, look, coming back to comfort on the course, some people say I'm really struggling with the 50 yard shot today. And there's a lot of short path falls. And I'm like, all right, what, what yardage do you like today? I like 90 yards, play to 90 yards, but 50 yards is a lot shorter and therefore probably a lot easier. Not for you. It isn't like, mm -hmm. do you want that to be an easier shot for you? Absolutely. But is the course the place to, to try and figure it out how to do it? Absolutely not. Go to the range afterwards. You play with what you've got today and then you reevaluate and sit down and reflect afterwards and say, this needs work, this needs improving. And that's fine. And that's okay. Like you should always like reflect and um, see what went wrong on the course. But after the round, during the right. round, you play with what works for you. But like if it's a hundred yard shot on a short par four instead of a 20 yard chip from the fringe, yeah, like the 100-yard shot. You're, you're so right, Simon. It's very difficult for amateur golfers to yeah. think about, okay, I'm not going to swing as hard as, I, you know, as hard as I can. I need to take a three-wood instead of a driver to yeah. get into that position. That, that takes a lot of discipline, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I realize that I just used the example of 20 yards versus 100 yards. That's a bit extreme there now, obviously. But, I mean, like, yards, like 50 yards versus 80 yards or 50. Instead of For hitting sure. a drive on every hole, maybe hit, like, a, 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 a three iron or something. Or, like, what was you a two iron or something. Because then you're laying up to the yardage that you're like, I just feel more comfortable over this. And for me, it just it comes down to I want my players to come out after the round and be like, um, I, I put myself in the position that makes me, that makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And it's playing the percentages, right? So many yeah. pros we've interviewed and coaches talk about yeah. um, hitting to the fattest part of fairways, hitting to the fattest part of greens. And these are the yeah. best in the world. Yeah. And um, swinging aggressively to conservative targets seems to be a real theme with some of the best players. Yeah. No, I, I like that swing aggressively to conservative targets because, yeah, when, when you like second shots on par five, like layup shots on like holes, how many times do people mess them up, whether it's off the tee or from the ferry, because they just like, it's a layup, I don't have to try hard. And then it goes sideways. There's nothing worse than hitting like an eight iron on the par five for the second shot because you're laying up in front of something and then you like hit it out of bounds because you just weren't trying hard. hard no worse. That. It is the absolute worst. So, yeah, absolutely. Whatever shot you give, whatever shot you're hitting, Go through the whole process and give it a hundred percent, but no more and no less. Because yeah, 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 that's that's all you can do. Commit to each shot, whether it's a layup or uh, an aggressive shot. So Simon, I I find that people really um, love examples. They love specifics, and yeah. I know it's tough with different people require yeah. different things. So yeah. let's maybe use you as an example because I know you said in your initial email that you've even still struggled to this day with yeah. fear of failure when you play. And yeah. you've gone through quite a journey yourself yeah. of seeing yourself kind of at rock bottom to working your way back. Yeah. What is things like, talk about the things you do today. If you're, if you're struggling and you just, you're really struggling yeah. to commit, right? You're really struggling and you're fearing a certain miss. What, what do you yeah. take yourself through? What do you do? Um, so if I'm like, let's say I... I don't like when I'm overhooking the ball. And so sometimes I'll just try and play the fade. I like, I like hitting the fade feel-wise because it either goes straight or just like a baby fade. But when I'm really hooking the ball and I'm hitting by really, I mean like 15 yards and it's on like down the range, um, I've spent a lot of time, again, accepting it and just being like, it is what it is. Like, that's how life is today. And I'm just going to take, take it and run. Um, and so I, I play the draw. Um, 
I try and obviously play it to a position off the tee where I'm like, if it draws, I'm perfectly safe. If it stays straight, I'm okay as well. So I don't aim to a direction where actually if the shot doesn't come, I'm screwed because it takes, it, it takes a lot of commitment to be able to say, I don't like the shot, but this is the shot I'm going with. Um, so being able to accept that on the range, whatever's happening and then take that to the course to take that. Um, but also just being, I, another thing that I think is hugely important is just a bit of like self-compassion. Um, I used to beat myself up. Like if I didn't hit the right tee shot, if I hit the wrong shape, if I hit a ball a bit thin, even if I hit a green, if I hit a green from 200 yards and I thin it a bit, I'm like, you suck. This isn't good enough. And like, I just, I've learned to just be a bit more compassionate towards myself and be like, you're trying your best on every shot. And that's really all you can do. So acceptance and a bit of compassion is a, is a goes a long way. But I've also, I suppose, changed my focus from, um, I used to be so much, like we spoke about before, don't miss right, don't miss left. Like, don't avoid this miss at all costs to picking something that I want to strive towards. Like, okay, I want to hit a draw on this hole. So now I'm focusing on this draw instead of avoid the fade. And it's a, it's a, it's a very subtle distinction, but the difference between, it actually has an impact on like your whole body. If, if you, the, there is some research out there that kind of shows that a defensive mindset to um, not an aggressive, but more like an approach mindset is is there are differences there and like the approach mindset is a lot more sustainable and likely to be beneficial to you um because defensive leads to tension and anxiety and stress yeah. and all those things um whereas the opposite leads to a lot more you don't have those things and um, yeah. so kind of the way i set those goals for that day changing that to a more approach based thing like i want to i want to try and hit a draw on this hole instead of i want to avoid a, fa- a a push or whatever I, right. does that make sense yeah. yeah and i really like it, it ties into course management and mm-hmm. obviously people there is a certain way to play every hole right you could say but there really yeah. isn't because it's how you feel that day and so you might have to change the rules a little bit but recognizing that having fun with that you know um it takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage i mean you know, in this, in, in, this, in the sense of playing in the game of golf, you know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it, it's, and it comes down to like most people that I speak to, whether they are beginners or experts, they will say, I'm trying my best. I'm like, that's all you can ever do. The other thing that some people I think forget sometimes is you can do everything right. You can be working on your a golf um, fitness program. You can be having a personalized nutritionist. You can have the best coach in the world, technical coach. You can have the best mental coach in the world, um, for all I care. But there are going to be days where things just won't go your way. And that sucks. But that's life. Like this yeah. idea that like you do everything right and you guarantee a good outcome. It's, it's not how life works. Look at Look at the best players in the world. Um, they miss cuts and shoot 80s as well. And they just bounce back because they say it's part of it. And so I think yeah. us amateurs, we sometimes get too caught up in, I shot an 80 today or a 90. I'm a failure and like, I'm not good enough. And then they carry that weight around with them into the following rounds and it, and it leads to problems. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. And I know we're ending in a few minutes. It's one of the great yeah. things to end with is, and I, one of the guys I've started coaching is recently retired. And I've yeah. seen this a lot right? Where um, men or women that retire, you're like, okay, now I can finally focus. Everyone jokes like, yo, if I could practice every day and focus on my golf game, I wonder if I could have made it pro, you know? And so when you finally get that time, what comes along with that? It's expectations. 
And to your point, Simon, like a lot of times when you start investing more and more, you get new clubs, you get custom yeah. fit, you get lessons, you're working on your yeah. mental game, you're yeah. working on your what you eat on the course. Now yeah. suddenly you're like, well, I'm doing all this stuff. Suddenly it's even more painful when you don't see yeah. the results because, and I felt that way too. We talk about this game every week and yeah. I coach people on it and I love yeah. it. And there's been times where I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't even hit the ball. And I'm like, why do I spend so much time on this damn game? Yeah, right? Absolutely. It's, it's part of it. But a lot of times that can be a, a uh, an interesting trap. Yeah. The more you put into it, sometimes the more expectations come with it. The way, the way that I look at it is, is like, if we look at a percentage game, like if you take weekly lessons, that, that let's say increases your ch chances to 50% of performing well whatever your handicap is. Let's just say a ballpark figure, 50%. Let's say you add a nutritionist in there. Okay, then now it's gone up to, let's say, 55% or 60%. Um, then let's say you add a mental coach. Now let's say it goes up to 70%, whatever. Like, But at the end of the day, no matter how many things you do, there was never going to be, okay, it's 100% guarantee you're going to play well today. You might have done everything right and then just woken up and not slept well and have a sore back. And that's it. That's enough. You might have got a text in the morning before you go out that says something that's just somewhat disturbed, distressing for you. And now you're in a bad mood all day. It doesn't matter. You can do everything right, but like things won't always go your way. And like the sooner we can accept that and embrace that, um, the, the sooner we can say, all right, what can I, how can I move on from here and like make the most of what I've got? Yeah. And I yeah. think that's kind of what makes the game so unique and exciting too. Like you can yeah. choose to look at it however you want, but the fact that it's almost this like mystery and you never know what you're going to get. And yeah. I, I loved Matt and I love calling each other. We're such golf geeks. Yeah. But this is what we love. Like we love calling each other and talking about like this, the, the peaks and the valleys of the round and how, you know, I thought I was down and out and I had one of the worst front nines I've ever had. And yeah. I refocused, I changed my strategy, I changed my, you know, my attitude, and I shot even par on the back. Like, what a cool yeah. right. thing, you know? And so I just, maybe that's a good place to end, Taylor, yeah. I think, or Simon. Yeah. I think, yeah. um, sorry, I see tailored mindset. I want to call you Taylor. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> and I just want to end with this. If we just realize that golf is the most humbling sport, but we also realize it's the most satisfactory sport mm. and game yeah we're gonna we'll we, we will find our way it's that's two different areas it's two different feelings you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. no I, I i completely agree it doesn't matter how you're feeling what you're thinking you can play good with bad, good shots uh, you can play good golf with bad thoughts you can play bad golf with good thoughts you just got to embrace whatever comes your way and just accept that and move make the most of it yeah and that's over true. time you put yourself in the right position you're thinking the right things you're giving yeah. yourself a better chance in the long term. Um, yeah. Simon, thank you so much. If you guys aren't following Simon, I think the best place to probably keep track is on Instagram at tailored.mindset. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-D dot mindset. Is there anywhere else uh, you want to send people? Um, I'm, uh, no, not yet. Okay. <laughs> More to come. More, More to, to come. come. More to come. Yeah. Well, yeah. Simon, I, uh, I'll give you one final chance if there's anything that we didn't go into if there's anything that you want to reiterate we went through a lot if there's one thing you want to leave people yeah. with what is it wow um okay i think 
the most important thing that I try and teach every single player I play with is that it doesn't matter what you're doing and what you're thinking. The most important thing is that you're doing and like committing mm. to each shot. Mm. All you can do is commit to each shot, whether you're thinking good or bad before the shot, focus on committing to that shot and making a committed swing. That's all you can do. Mm. Love, Love it. That. Love it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks well, a lot. Thank Simon. you so much, Simon. Um, We'll hope to talk to you again soon and best of luck with everything you're doing moving forward. Thanks, same to you.